Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Law. With me, as always, DJ Mark. Hello. I say, as always, wasn't here last week. Kid Presentable. <laughs> I'm here, though, but sometimes I'm not. And Lavender Gooms. Hello, guys. Who wasn't here for like a whole year. I was going to say, he was not here for a good long time. So basically what we're saying is, barring like two episodes, I think, I'm your host, Dr. Law. The rest of it, the most. Yeah, it's like you know, episode of Bill Maher. You don't know who's going to be there sometimes. Sometimes we bring a guys on from a podcast, and then that podcast disappears a week later. That was a thing that happened. You guys remember Jesse? They stopped doing shows after they talked to us. Couldn't handle all the scorn. Yeah, <laughs> you know, when you reach a peak, you stop doing what you did to get there. Like, I was or, doing a blog to get this internship. Once I got the internship, I was like, I don't need to do the blog anymore. It served its purpose. So their whole podcast was just to, to get a little fame from us. And then once they reached that, it was like, there's nowhere else to go close up shop. Or, conversely, someone came looking for us, but they came across him. And then that was it. Ooh, they took the bullet. <laughs> Maybe literally. Um. All right. <laughs> that grim prospect aside, uh, we're going to talk about some fights, guys. Um, The fight card on uh, Sunday... Despite it being on Sunday, I'm not a big fan of that, but the, um, the fight card was fun, man. There was a lot of good stuff that happened in this Austin card, and Nate Diaz somehow won the entire night without fighting. Got the most publicity. Um, he's not a draw, though, at all. Um, we're going to talk, if we have to, I guess we should, about this Bellator tournament, because um, we have another person advancing. Um, we're going to preview this card this Saturday, uh, I believe. This UFC on Fox card is Saturday, and I already forgot where it's located. But we got some pretty good contender fights, um, including number four, Josh Emmett, and I think number six, six or eight, Jeremy Stevens. Um, a couple other good ones, too. You know, Ilar Latifi on there, OSP, uh, Jessica Andrade. We'll talk about all those fights at the end. Um, uh, but first, um, we're not going to get into this at all, really, but just, you know, Thoughts and prayers, everybody dealing with the tragedy in Florida. You know, we rant enough about stuff. I think it's pretty clear where we all stand on stuff, though. So, but yeah, thoughts and prayers to all those people. Um, UFC Fight Night Austin. Um, Cowboy Cerrone, Yancey Medeiros. We all picked Yancey. And if I remember, our logic was pretty much Cowboys lost a lot of fights. This might be it. Um, Marcus, it's not it yet, huh? <laughs> no, he looked good in this fight. Um, I mean, I wasn't here last week to give my reasoning for picking Yancey, but it was pretty much like what you said. Um, a lot of the reasoning was, you know, Cowboy being on a three-fight losing streak. And um, personally, I kind of like Yancey because he's a, a mentally tough fighter. And I thought if he can, you know, weather the storm of Cerrone, we can kind of see what Nate did to a Donald where he mentally kind of broke him during the fight. Um, but we didn't really see that. I mean, one, I, what I think maybe surprised a lot of us, like he really, Donald really showed up to this fight. He seemed mentally 
very excited for this. I remember in the lead up to the fight that they were using, you know, the the video packages they were using to promote the fight during the event was that he saw this Sunday card as kind of a return to the WEC cards, which were on Wednesdays and Sundays. And he kind of mentally put himself in that state back then where he was kind of a hungry fighter. And you kind of saw this in this fight. Um, I think Donald, Donald knew who he was fighting in Yancey. He knew that he had another good dance partner who was going to stand there and bang with him. And he was up for the challenge. Um, you know what? Impre- you, was- know what I was say, you know what impressed me was Yancey's a really um, awkward fighter. Yancey doesn't do traditional things necessarily in his movement or his striking. And Donald kind of he fought smart. Like the first minute or two, he kind of you could he was almost I guess I mean not on this level necessarily, but Anderson Silvaing it where you could tell he was kind of measuring what Yancey was doing, trying to get the pacing down. And after a couple minutes, you saw him start to you know. Kind of pick Yancey apart, I think. More, quite frankly, um, he was able to implement his game after that. I was impressed with that, and more than because Donald has this. We have this impression where Donald's just gonna, you know, tough it out and start swinging with dudes. But he can be a smart fighter if he needs to be. Yeah, no, I mean, I, we do kind of see that from Cerrone. I think that's why a lot of people have this mentality to think that he's a slow starter. And I think he kind of does what he does in this fight. He kind of wants to see what the guy's going to bring to him and, and start, you know, analyzing how this guy moves around, how he throws strikes and seeing the opportunities that, that um, are going to become available to him. And I mean, what I was surprised in this fight um, was really that, you know, he, he ended up winning the fight with punches. And I don't think a lot of the times it's, uh, you know, Donald's hands, I think of necessarily as deadly. It's usually his kicks that are kind of one-hit quitters. But really what he does well and, and, and what ultimately won him the TKO here is that he throws combinations very well and he knows how to throw a variety of punches and strikes, whether it's to the head, body, and you know, um, throwing in kicks in there as well. He, he knows how to throw combinations very well. And that's ultimately where he got Yancey in this one. was They were in a mid-exchange. And when Yancey came in with two strikes, Donald came in with four. And it was on that last uh, right straight in his combination that, you know, landed for um, Donald. And he followed up. It was right at the end of the round. And I don't know about you guys. I think it was a good call. But knowing Yancey and how tough he is, I think he oh, might have been able to survive Yancey, the next Yancey, seconds. Yancey, had some, Yancey was pretty fair about it. He's like, look, I understand he's there to protect me. I thought I was probably okay, but in, I saw the video and it made sense that he stopped it. But he says, my, my, me and my team are making some jokes that we needed a Mario Yamasaki out there. To, <laughs> give me a yeah. little extra time. And I thought that too. I mean, you have to think Herb Dean, you know, this is the main event. It's almost at the end of the first round. I mean, I don't know if all this stuff is going through his head, but maybe all of the flack that Mario got is going through the back of his head. And he's thinking that, and and, and I, I didn't hear what Yancey said after the fight. I was, I, was, you know, I don't need to see the post fight stuff that much personally. Um, but I, I think his assessment is extremely correct. You know, I think when in the heat of the moment, I think he could have survived, but when you watch that tape, he got knocked down and Cerrone followed up with four clean punches and it's like, if you're not going to stop a fight, then when are you going to stop it? I also and, thought uh, that, like, maybe he was separated. There was a moment where he got hit where he looked like he separated from his consciousness for a moment. It, like, he looked like he was gone in the middle there. And maybe one of those punches, you know, it's one of those time things where back, I don't, Yeah. Yeah, one yes. of those things, basically. You know, even though I picked Yancey, I was kind of pulling for him because I think he has a lot of potential. Um, I, I felt it was a good stoppage. You know, I think Donald did enough to, to win that fight there. And um, it was unfortunate because I think... We all know this could have been more of a war, right? We could have gotten maybe three good, solid rounds of you know good action. Yeah, I mean, like we this, were but... we were all excited for this the matchup yeah. itself. But this happens, you know, when you have two guys that are going to sit in the pocket and throw, um, you can potentially have a shorter fight than you might anticipate. So you know, it, was a, it was a great win for Donald. He kind of needed this, obviously coming off three losses, he needed to bounce back strong. 
and to fight a guy like Yancey and to put him away kind of, you know, really bounces back well off those, those three uh, consecutive losses. So good, good on him. Yeah. I got to um, chime in. Um, maybe I, I, I know him personally is a little sour grapes for me. Uh, I was feeling a little uh, frustrated coming from the conclusion of the NBA all-star game um, and how that game played out. It was a good game, but uh, just the outcome of it, you know, it was against my rooting interest. Um, I got to do a wagon thing. I did not care for Medeiros's uh, how he carried himself in this fight. His happy-go-lucky, I'm going to hug Donald Cerrone at every moment. I did not like it in this fight. It was, it was a bit. It, it was a bit. I think it worked against him. You know, I it's think like, you're right. in, like Matt Brown or was it that other fight where they're like, oh, we're going to be friends. But one guy's like, we can be friends after, but I'm going to kick your ass right now. I'm not your friend during this. You know, it reminded like, me of uh, Pat Barry. Pat Barry and the Crow Cop's always going to be the example where Pat Barry was just so fucking happy to fight Crow Cop that like, I'm like, man, fucker, Crow Cop's down. Go hit him. You know, I that stuff. to get admiration, but it can't be during the fight. It can't be during yeah. the fight. It's just, it's weird. It, it. And then when you lose, it just it, it sticks out like a sore thumb to me. Like, you didn't I, come with the right mindset. I remember uh, BJ Penn when he fought Rory. Rory talks – like, Rory didn't – want. he said it after the fight. He's like, I didn't want to say that BJ Penn is my favorite fighter. And he's like – and then BJ was talking smack before the fight, and it was, like, hurting my feelings. I like Rory a lot. He said this stuff. But, like, he said – yeah, he, B, Rory McDonald says my favorite fighter is BJ Penn. Like, and he, but he doesn't want to, like – maybe after the fight we talk about that. You know what I mean? We talk about that shit afterwards. You know, once you've seen the performance. Um, co-main event. Yeah, Marcin Tybura, Derek Lewis. Um, what happened in between the co-main, between Derek Lewis's post-fight speech? And what happened immediately afterwards? I'm going to go to Mike for that. But first, Stefan, I was talking to you during this fight. And um, Derek Lewis, you know, swanging and banging, right? I mean, he got it done. But... I don't I mean, think for, he, for two and a half rounds. Yeah. I was about to tie Mark uh, is what it was. Was this yeah. the one fight where I differentiated in picks and for two and a half rounds, I looked right. Um, well, no, he I, got, I mean, Marcin Tybura's chin, by the way, he got walloped in the first round and survived that shit. It was well, that's part of my analysis of Marcin Tybura is the, the, the book on him is he kind of lasts and hangs around with guys. He really has no, it's he seemingly has no business with like he goes the distance with guys that are so much better than him on paper just because he's mm. tough. Um, you know, he, he's got solid takedowns and that's really was the tail of the fight for nearly two and a half rounds. Um, you saw he had really good elbows, but he does not have fight stopping power. He doesn't yeah, really have a slick enough submission game. Um, and I thought Jimmy Smith had the call of the night when he was saying like, or circa the second round going into the third round, he said he was saying something along the lines of, you know, guys who have late stopping power have a confidence about them that doesn't go away. And then boom, it happened. Yeah, then, Luke like, Thomas was like a uh, later. It was just yeah, two, Luke, two hooks sorry. in a clinch. Yeah, was, and Luke Thomas was making a point. He says he says Yoel is kind of like uh, Derek Lewis, like that, where you have confidence late in the fight that, like, you know what, I can still. I mean, look, if it's fourth round and Michael Bisping's been getting his ass kicked for three and a half rounds, Michael Bisping's smart enough to know I'm fucked. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like like Derek Lewis and Yoel Romero, guys who can stop it late. You're right. There's a confidence level that is. Uh, it's just a significant advantage, quite frankly. Was that Smith's first full-time card, or has he done one already? He like, did. Uh, he I think he was at the table on one, I remember. But this, I thought this was the first time at his event, and he's good. Jimmy Smith is good. I, I mean, I, I love Jimmy Smith. I think Jimmy Smith, I think he did last week, too. I thought he was good with whoever this guy doing play-by-play was. I thought they did an uh, okay I, job. To, yeah. I don't know. I thought, like, 
I thought he did a pretty professional. I was okay with him, quite frankly. He I, had, I really, he had some comments I can't remember now. I was just like, yeah, I don't know, but I don't know, buddy. Uh, I want to get. By the way, John Anik deserves some credit. I know John Anik is kind of like just the default guy to us, but John Anik, I feel, has worked with something like forty-five different people while working with the UFC, and at no point did I think John Anik is fucking up this card. Like he's not always great, but I felt like you know what? He keeps the train on the track, no matter who they I put mean, him with. Just uh, just off the top of your head, John Anik's worked with I think uh, Joe Rogan, of course, DC, Florian, uh, Dominic Cruz, Felder. Um, <laughs> Called her uh, um, Ken Flo. I think yeah. he did a couple. Uh, he did a couple with him. He I, probably did some with Dan Hardy before they got that other British guy. Yeah, he did. I know he did. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think I can put my finger on what. And do you remember this guy? It's like it's like Brendan something, right? Brendan with the, some. No, not Brendan Morrow. Brendan no. Donnelly or something or some something shit like, like that. I, I think I know what it. it he didn't really seem to have the wealth of knowledge of what's going on in the fight. To really convince me that he's like someone that should be in the booth, right? I mean, because I think when you talk about Anik and some of the other guys that do the, um, they love this. Uh, I guess be play by play, right? Like yeah. they, they, they they know, it. and I feel like a lot of time Jimmy is kind of he's not just informing the audience; he's informing this guy of like what's actually going on, and G that G it's just like, and and that's I fine. I mean, because it, it, it created a good scenario for Jimmy to be very kind of technical with his analysis and to really kind of break down what exactly is going on and how this guy having his arm underneath his armpit is benefacting him. But it just made me feel like he's not, he's telling the fans at home, but he's also, I feel like he's educating this guy that he's working with. And I feel like when you're up at this echelon, this is like, like if Bellator had a guy like this, I'd be like, that's fine. Cause they're speaking to that audience. But at this point, I'm just like on a Fox sports one card. I, I am dude should kind of know what's up I, and not be yeah. like, he used to use, I think what it, he kind of used some general kind of terms like, Oh, he's really, He's going after it here or something like that. It's like where he couldn't really put a more articulate spin on what is happening in the action, how to use general terms of like this guy's getting busy down there or something. Kind of just rings like, yeah, this guy maybe – it's not that maybe he doesn't know what's going on as well or he just can't articulate it as much. But maybe, you know, he's just getting his feet wet with doing, you know, MMA color commentary which is a difficult thing you know it's not easy yeah, but, to jump i mean there. it also seems like a weird place to be getting your feet wet if this is I, I don't honestly uh, i'm i'm gonna think maybe some of this i don't know how deep how detailed do they want the play-by-play -play guy get i've heard him other times i've heard him he's done it a few times now and i don't know I, I would generally got the impression like yeah okay there's some stuff he does it's real like yeah just mainstream sports guy about it and stuff but yeah and i mean yeah, that's just my personal thing him I and like, felder I like together more. i liked him and felder together when they did the one, like did one a few weeks ago. Yeah, I, th I think uh, my personal style of commentary, he just kind of that doesn't jive with me well. But I, I totally can get people that appreciate that, that kind of give you that kind of point of view. That's like, yeah, the guy on the couch, he kind of understands. He's breaking it down for him and letting him know what's up. I think that's fine. Um, that's what Joe Rogan also was really good at was maybe talking to the common man. I think that's part of the reason. People yeah, but he, he bridges the gap a little better. Yeah, right? he does. He knows the technical. No, I, th stuff I think I think they're able to bridge that, and this guy. I think they're listening know. to him because he's Joe Rogan, and then they pick it up because he knows technical right. stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. So after this fight, Derek Lewis talked about them them, them Texas boys because crowd was fucking. They were there for Derek Lewis. It seemed like they were losing their shit for him. Steph, what was his line about? Uh, he called out to his wife. Uh, he said, "Girl, you better get ready because I'm going in deep." And yeah, uh, Jimmy Smith said. I'm not going to even address that, but thank you, Derek Lewis. Yeah, that was – and then, so, Fox is dealing uh, – so, Mike, Fox is dealing with Derek Lewis talking about how he's going to fuck his wife. Um, 
getting in there deep. And we cut to Nate Diaz in the crowd. And Nate's in the building because Yancey's his boy. Yancey's, uh, in addition to training in Hawaii, spent a lot of time training out here in, uh, in Stockton and Lodi in that area and stuff. So Nate's there to support his boy. They cut to Nate. The crowd loses their shit because it's Nate Diaz, one of the biggest three stars in MMA, probably. Nate, first off, cutting to Nate on a live shot's risky because best case scenario, he was going to flip off America. But he didn't do that. Nate took out a pre-roll joint, took out a lighter, and kind of looked like he's about to light up the joint. And with that, Nate Diaz was the most popular thing to come out of this card. <laughs> and there was so much... When he takes out the lighter and has the joint out, one of the pictures of screen grabs that you get from it, there's just so much going on in it. Of the course, kids. you have Nate you have Nate in the forefront. Yeah. You have the kid right behind him with just the largest smile you'll ever see on a oh, child. Oh, yeah, that kid knew that exactly what was up. Blunt. <laughs> yeah. And another thing you may not have noticed is the guy right behind that kid giving the thumbs up. Yeah, that was... <laughs> It was uh the children. The background's what made it art, honestly. Um, Nate, and in, uh, my, in my opinion, yeah, he may have been there for Yancey. Yancey's his boy, but we've been getting a lot of rumors, a lot of leaked reports that maybe he'll be fighting Tyron Woodley. You know, normally, normally when people are getting back in the good graces with Dana White or, you know, fights about to get booked, you start seeing them mugging on the camera. So we may uh, have some news soon. We'll see. Um, I don't know. I think. I mean, Nate. Nate was just there for the dank uh, Austin Kush. Clearly, that's he made the travels just for that. Was that thing? I was, lit? That thing looked super lit in the photo. He. It looked no, like it looked honestly a little ashy at the tip. Is what I'm saying. What I was wondering was, did Nate bring his the pre rolls that him and his brother? Their name. He's slinging his buy, own product. Yeah, I'm saying you can you can <laughs> you can buy Nate and Nick Diaz pre roll joints in the Bay Area. Come you on, do bro. That. You know Nate Diaz isn't smoking anything but some NND. What's that stand for? <laughs> Nick and Nate Diaz weed, man. <laughs> oh, God, I thought that was going to be a real thing. That was a, okay. Um, I love Nate Diaz. I'm happy to see him on TV. But again, the best case scenario for Fox was he was going to flip off America. So the, the censors was probably ready. Um, What was the next fight on this card? Uh, Vic and... Uh... Francisco Trujillo. Man, I was, uh, I thought, and we don't have to break into the end of these fights really deeper at this point for these ones, quite frankly, but I thought that Vic made a lot of noise about wanting to fight a top 15 guy, an actual ranked guy, because Vic's like 9-1. and one. Um, And uh, Trinaldo, I was basically, I wanted him to smoke Trinaldo. I kind of was hoping he would do that, given I he I thought Steph honestly he should have put a stamp on it. Not I mean there was a lot of it looked like a regular like let me just outpoint this tired Brazilian. You know I, I, I might I mean I'll be articulating as well, but you know, I'm kind of he needed to put a stamp on it. I thought and it didn't really happen. I mean yeah, if you recall, he was calling for this Austin fight after his last victory. You know like how many people call for the Sunday night fight night card? But uh, you know he wanted to fight in Texas. Um, credit to Trinaldo too. Um, I only saw the highlights on this. Uh, Trinaldo, he's just a tough out. Um, he's kind of a B across the board. I kind of call him. I used to say he was the young man's, uh, what's his name? Um, T-Bow? Young man's T-Bow, but I think they're the same age. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, maybe. He, he, he swears old. He looks old on that face, but he's solid across the board. He's got respectable boxing. He's got respectable 
Uh, you know, he's got a good enough chin. He's Brazilian. His his jujitsu is fine enough. So it's tough. But I, I understand what you're saying. You want, you know, Vic is the guy who's been in the back waiting to crash the top ten party. Um, this wasn't the match to really do it, though. I mean, I think he's twelve right now. I mean, he's nine. He's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and one in the UFC. You gotta give him somebody in the top ten. You just have to. Cause let's see what's let's see what you got here, man. He's thirty years old. He's ready to make a move. His nickname's terrible. The Texecutioner. Terrible nickname. Um We also had uh Tiago Alves and Curtis Millinder, a fight that's uh Stefan and I were most excited about because one guy was gonna be like eight inches taller than the other guy. Yeah, I didn't know who Curtis Millinder was. All I knew was I know that Tiago Alves is five seven. And I saw he was fighting a six two welterweight. I knew it couldn't end good. Um and it did not for our uh fan favorite uh, Tiago yeah. Alves. Dude, Tiago's been doing this so long. And he's only like 34. That's the thing. Um, Tiago got beat with a uh, knee, but that's not what I want to talk about. Curtis Millinder said he wants to fight Mickey Gall. And Stefan, his reason for Mikey, uh, for wanting to fight Mickey Gall is enough that Curtis Millinder is going to be one of my guys from now on. He wants to fight Mickey Gall because Curtis Millinder is a big CM Punk mark. And he wants to avenge CM Punk's loss. We we got a new faction. Yeah, we, I'm just... new, we got a faction going on. CM <laughs> Punk's gonna come out with his new army that will avenge him. Oh, that's right. CM Punk. People are gonna beat CM Punk, and we're gonna send this kid afterwards to go beat those guys up. Um, you know that's an old pro wrestling gimmick, right? You got like the uh, what was that? Like more recently, they had that Enzo Amore and Big Cass guy. You have the big muscle, and you got the mouthpiece. You know, it's it's tact. It's it's tag team wrestling one on one, man. You got You feature the big man. CM Punk goes and gets beat up. Get some heat on the guy. Tag in Mer- Millinder. Um, yeah, it was a. But it was a, honestly um, UFC debut on a main card. Tiago Alves isn't what he used to be, but uh, Millinder performed as well as he could. Uh, Marcus, did you? Uh, what do you think of his performance? Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, I mean, yeah, Tiago. I mean, yeah, he is like you said, much older than he was. You know, he's not quite in his prime. Even if he says that he feels he's as good as being in his prime. Um, but Curtis looks great. And like you guys said, I mean, a big advantage you're going to have to remember about this guy is just that reach. And he's one of those guys that knows how to utilize it really well. And he hurt Tiago really bad in the first round, o- almost had him finish. And, you know, Tiago stuck in there. And, you know, uh, Tiago has a lot of heart and took a lot of damage in this fight. But when he finally did, you know, knock him down with that knee, he was uh, Curtis early in the fight, knocked him down and went for the, you know, the, it was, what do they call it? The standoff knockout in the Mark Hunt walk away, walk whatever. Off. Yeah, the walk yeah, the off. off. He tried doing that. And then he kind of got it. And he didn't get it with the uppercut earlier, but he got it with the knee. And yeah, this is, um, I mean, for his UFC debut to go in there against someone um, with the skill set with Tiago Alves and also being a striker that Curtis is, you know, it could be a really tough debut for a guy, but um, he was up for the challenge. He obviously had, you know, the, the natural, um, advantages of his long reach and height you know but we've seen guys with those same things not being able to utilize their natural advantages um in the octagon and this guy knows how to so uh and i think him fighting mickey is a is an interesting fight too because of the styles clashing it's it's a little bit different of an out than alves um and i think you know i, I didn't did he say that cm punk in the post fight stuff because i didn't really catch no him i think that he got but, interviewed and he said that i'm a big c i mean he said he's like i'm a big cm punk fan and I'd like to fight Mickey Gall because he beat him. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. No, I think right that's on, buddy. interesting that's... motivation besides just being like, oh, this is a guy in my division and his number is higher than my number next to me. I mean, there's a little heat there. And it's, and it's interesting, right? Because I think when you talk 
to a lot of the MMA fan base. They're not really CM Punk fans. So to have a fighter be like, I, I like, like this it. guy so much that I want to kind of follow in his failing footsteps is an interesting kind of ploy. You know what? You play this, it, this, I think this, it's interesting yeah. and it's fun. And it, it, it creates a storyline that is very different and unique in the sport. Hey, man, if I was booking this, you book these, this fight. And then when Millinder walks out, we hit CM Punk's music. They come out together. And this is going to mean nothing to most people. But Stefan, boys are going to get on one knee. Yell, it's clobbering time. And then it's ready for Millinder. I'm ready for Millinder to go fight. That's what you do, right? I mean, we, the, there's the MMA fan who just completely disavows the existence of pro wrestling. So I'm always for it. You guys don't realize how close this sport is to pro wrestling. So oh, it's, I'm all it's, for it. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, best fight of the night. And I kind of felt bad because I was watching the All-Star game um, during this fight. And I was making a comment that Reggie Miller and Chris Webber were going to be the death, uh, death, death of me because they're terrible at their jobs. And then our buddy um, Mark um, from MMA Made Show messaged me, hey, man, it's UFC time. And I just responded, I'm not watching a fight with neither guy on a Wikipedia page. Which wasn't true. I watched most of it. These guys beat the shit out of each other. Oh yeah, I was gonna say like no, that been no, no, no. I watched. They beat the they <laughs> they just beat the shit out of each other. Um, I don't remember which one was which, but when it was over, I was thoroughly entertained. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I I did watch this fight, and I didn't have. I mean, like like you, Bob, not much interest in this on the outside. And this is kind of what you know we always allude to when we you know we kind of shit on some cards or some fights, and it's like you know we're not interested in the fight itself because of the name value but you never really know what you're going to get especially when you have two guys that you've never seen fight and this was a really fun stylistic fight um brandon davis was the guy that ultimately won um and he was a lot more technical standing up he came from um alan uh, belcher's uh camp and he had a similar style not not quite all the tools that uh, belcher had but a very dynamic stand-up striker and then you had uh steven peterson who reminded me a lot of um chris lytle he's just kind of a you know, I, I don't want to make generalizations, but he kind of looks white trashy, right? Like he has a lot of weird tattoos, a big Superman tattoo on his chest. And he just, he looks of the nature that, you know, is not someone, you know, that looks well in a three piece suit. Maybe is what I'm trying to say. Um, but the kid could bang. I mean, maybe not even bang, but he was game. Right. And he took a lot of punishment and kept coming and it just turned out to be a brawl. And I just looked and, um, uh, deservedly so, they won fight of the night. I think they totally deserved to. It was it was the best fight I saw of the night, and yeah, it was just a really. And I guess both these guys came off of Dana's. Do you want to be a fighter show or whatever they call? You know what? Tuesday I'm I'm okay, I'm okay with that show. Of all the things they do, that one I don't mean I don't care. I mean, about I name. feel like this fight is kind of the combination of what that show was. Well, meant did to you produce. you remember they that? Uh, to... They got that O'Malley kid too, who's got yeah, fight. Yeah, I mean, really, he's got it's, really it's, good. It's, there's some guys like this thing. Neither of us, you know, none of us watched the show, but I think the whole purpose of it was to get, you know, fun talent into the UFC that, you know, otherwise would have to come through the ranks. And it's kind of fulfilling on that. You know, I mean, I, I can't say much to it because I haven't seen the program, but like the guys that are coming out of it and going into the UFC proper and they're showcasing like this on a main card above other people that are, you know, have been, you know, put more miles into the UFC, like, they're putting these guys above it, but then they deliver, right? And like you said, Bob, I don't remember who that other kid was, but he he was was he on the main card too? I think he might have been the last yeah. card. He might have been on the main card. And I mean, they 
they're showcasing them on the main event and i talk shit about it and it was like this is a garbage fight why don't we have you know uh carlos diego on here instead because that's a guy i'm familiar with but then they come out and perform like they have been and it kind of validates these moves that you know i know at least for myself i've been very critical of so um you know a little egg on my face but i'd rather be in this scenario where i'm critical and then i get surprised than expecting too much and being disappointed so it's it's doing what it's been it was designed to do and you know i can't really hate on that you know um good on them um, and, and this was a great fight so um yeah big good good win for brandon davis exciting fight um mike i know you didn't watch this but let's say you were fighting sage northcutt in his home in his home state and let's say the first round was real questionable who won and let's say you won the second round if you were entering the third round would you a assume you won those two rounds easily and not do shit or b do your damnedest to win round number three well, let's also keep in mind that these are people that get hit in the head for a living. So, okay. But I think a very logical person would think that if one of the rounds is a toss-up, probably crowd reaction and whatever else goes into it, the judge is probably going to give that round to the hometown guy. So, no. Yeah. If anything, I would be going into that third round thinking it's 1-1. Um I need to make sure I win this third round. Well, Tybalt Go Goatee did not go with that strategy, my friend. Um, he was cocksure he won those first two rounds. And I saw 18 um, media scorecards. I mean, I didn't look at each fucking one. MMA Decisions, guys. Great website. 18 media scorecards. I saw 12 for Tybalt, and I saw 6 for Sage. Um, and I saw the fans mostly thought Sage won. I didn't really have a lot. I mean, I was half paying attention to this. I really didn't have a lot of sympathy for the guy. It was a close fight. I didn't think it was a robbery necessarily. He, I thought he probably won, but I thought, yeah, this first, I mean, I wasn't half paying attention. I'm like, I don't know the first round. Eh, maybe um, I, I just knew, I knew, I, go, I knew going into the decision though. I was like, I, I mean, go, I wouldn't, I'm like, I, she shouldn't have fought the third round like that. Yeah. I think in hindsight, if you're looking at 18 different scorecards and 12 is a very high percentage, but it's not enough for me to think, oh, well, he got robbed because if... I mean, this wasn't Machida Shogun 1. Let's put it that way. No, that one that one was a for sure robbery. Yeah. But, um, yeah, um, I didn't see the fight. I was still on my way coming back home. But from everything I've read this morning, uh, the guy was pretty upset about his decision. And I know uh, Sage was on. I think what the it's MMA the it's an amazing hour the MMA hour. Uh, Yo, say if Sage ever got on this podcast and called me Mister Rajabi, I think I would shut this thing down afterwards because it's not going to get better than that. That that's as good as life's going to get. Sorry, Mike. Go ahead. No, I was just I was just saying that. Um. Oh yeah, I know he was uh defending the decision right after the fight, and um, you know, I I think. I think we've been using the term robbery a bit too often in MMA at this point because at this point, we all know that there's going to be a lot of really bad um, decisions if, if, if there's no finish in the fight. So we can't use, you know, robbery or yeah, an and upset. I, and I, that yeah, I think, we're, I think we're pretty fair in general because, like, yeah, there's got to be levels to this shit. There, you know, we, we got to be able to complain properly when Leonard Garcia robs the zombie or, you know, Ross Pearson gets fucked in that Diego Sanchez fight. We got to be able to, 
There's got to be grades to this shit. I mean, Robert I Yellen, able- Yellen oh, the oh, guy right, down, and the other guy won the round, and that let- inexplicably happens from time to time. Yeah. So, like, Garcia, let's not also forget when uh, he robbed Nam Fam. You know, and um, the mayor, too. I do want to chime in on the fight, too, because, I mean, the decision was, I think, questionable and all that. But I, I think the big takeaway is that we still haven't seen Sage kind of suture all the holes in his game, right? Like, he still seems to lack the skills to stop these grapplers from kind of, you know, running their game on him. And I think that was my big takeaway is that, you know, we know Sage is a super athlete and that his stand-up can be very dynamic and deadly. And he could be a really precision guy. And, you know... We used to think at the beginning, like, sky's the limit for this kid. Now, I, what are we in, two, three years into the UFC? I mean, he's, like, 23 still, though, man. He's so not, young. I'm not, not going to say, like, you know, like, oh, this guy's destined never to become anything. But, I mean, my big takeaway is, like, yeah, Sage still – he still has these holes. He still has things that he needs to greatly improve on. And whether you think he won the decision or not, that was my takeaway. Is like, th- this kid is young, and he can still improve, but – that road's still ahead of him, right? Like we're not yeah. at the point yet where he's like super prospect. He's knocking on the door of the Connors and the Habibs out there. He needs to really drill certain things. And I think you can say that about, I mean, we didn't really get into it too deep, but like Derek Lewis was kind of like that too. You saw his hole in wrestling and grappling and basically how he gets out from the bottom is doing backdoor escapes by giving your back is like, that's not going to cut it. You know, you have to be able, your skill set needs to improve if you're going to get to a higher echelon. And I mean, look at these guys are going to improve, right? That's the whole game is like, you go to the gym, you, you, you get better at what you do. But I think in those two fights, I saw two guys that like, yeah, they, they have something that really, they're really good at and that can get them a lot of wins. But they got to get lacking, over those hurdles. Yeah. They they're over they're the hurdles. lacking these certain things that are making, in my mind, are hindering them from, from at least in my own kind of cognizant being like, yeah, this guy, he gets a couple more wins. He is ready for the the championship type of fights. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's fine because Sage is still growing. He's still a young guy, like you said, Bob. But um, it was a little disheartening to see that like, yeah, he's still getting grounded, you know, and he's still struggling against these grapplers, even though he did kind of turn it around, right? I think in the second round when I kind of came in, he started yeah. turning the, he turned it around. And then the third round, it looked like this other guy kind of mentally kind of collapsed a little bit and Sage kind of poured it on. And that's another, that's a strong mental feat, but it's just, it's just like, yeah, okay, he, he needs to he needs to work on those underhooks. He needs to work on getting back up. He needs to work on not getting grounded. Um, but, yeah, so it's just like he still has a ways to go. But um, he's yeah. he got a win here, and that's going to keep the momentum going. Yeah, we, so. we, you know what? And people are still care, so we'll go exactly, from there. Yeah. Um, and he has um, let, Let's uh, move on because I know uh, Stefan's preparing at least a half-an-hour blowjob for Black Panther. So we got to pick up the pace a little bit here. Um, yeah, uh, Josh Berkman though probably shouldn't fight in the, in the UFC or anywhere else anymore because he's lost. I think he's done. I mean, <laughs> he's lost. He's won seven and one seven, and then parentheses one because and then he lost that one too to Lombard. Lombard was on the super steroid. He it's it, maybe we call it a day, Josh. We're at forty five fights. Just saying. Um, all right. Um, let's do. Let's pick these. Let's do. Uh, pick. Let's pick these fights for this card. And then we'll um, do Memoirs of a Five Fan and get into stuff we like. Um, Josh Emmett uh, knocked out Ricardo Lamas. Like, knocked him the fuck out. Molly whopped him. Um, he also missed weight in that fight, but we're not counting that, apparently, because he's ranked fourth. Jeremy Stevens, I think he's eighth. It could be sixth. Whatever. We all know what Jeremy Stevens does. Um, the odds on this fight, who's got him? I'm the one that has them. Uh, Josh Emmett is a 135 underdog. Jeremy Stevens, 155 favorite. 
Okay. Um, Jeremy, Josh Emmett is coming off of that big win. I want to say Jeremy Stevens won his last fight. I could be talking out my ass. Jeremy Stevens, he, he won his last. Yeah, he knocked out our boy. Um, I think um, I'm going to go first here. I think Josh Emmett is actually like like he's he's a good fighter. And he's one of those guys you heard about for a while just because jo- Uriah Faber talks about all the guys who ever spent 12 minutes in his gym to the point that you got to, you know, sometimes wonder. Um, he is four and one in the UFC. The only thing is he lost the split in the, in, in the middle there, a fight that I don't no one really remembers. Um, I don't know if he's ready for this. And I know he's 32 years old, so he might want to get ready. Jeremy Stevens in a five-round fight. And you're a decision guy mostly. I know he knocked out Ricardo Lamas. It's going to be... I mean, Jeremy Stevens is going to be there in round three and four. He's been here a long time. I I got to go Jeremy Stevens here. I don't think the guy's ready. It could be me wrong. It's a very close fight, I think. But I don't I don't think he's ready for this. Uh, Mike, what do you think? I've seen Jeremy Stevens put on some pretty good performances consecutively and consistently. Josh Emmer, his knockout Ricardo Lamas was pretty sweet. I would like to pick Josh because I know he uh, encountered a lot of uh, adversity at the beginning of his career. You know, he broke the the same hand twice in consecutive fights to start off his career. Um, I don't think Araya talks of everybody that's that team alpha male. Dude, but... he talks about all these kids, man. He's like this one dude. His name, this one guy's name is Kid Alex, but his name is actually like John. I don't understand that. But anyway, yeah, I've, we've been here about these motherfuckers for like 10 years. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but even so, um, that's not enough to sway me. Um, Jeremy Stevens has looked really good in his last few fights. And I like to go with the person that's on the roll. Yeah. Um, Stefan, what do you think, brother? Um, I'll go ahead and swing it the other direction. Um, I'll take Josh Emmett in this. Uh yeah, I, if in in my head, I was thinking Emmett's best win is better than Steven's best win, but in my head, it's also maybe it's not. But at the same time, I think we kind of saw something about Duho in his last couple of fights. Um, I think maybe we were overhyping him a little bit because he was winning spectacularly. You know, it's just um, we kind of saw how he does. He has a little bit of gas tank issues. He has a little bit of adversity issues. Those um, are tough, two, two tough guys to fight, though. Fuck, you make you fight those ones and Jeremy Stevens. You know, Jer- Jeremy Stevens is always just a tough out, but I can't shake in my head that he's kind of a. I mean, his record shows he's a slightly above 50 50 fighter. Um, he drops fights. He, he He's the guy who not really quite destined to be a title contender, you know? So it's just why it's always easy for me to believe that Jeremy Stevens can lose. Um, I like Emmett's momentum. Um, by the way, someone's writing these picks down, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, Marcus, what do you think here, man? You going <sighs> to tie it up? Or... Really... It's a close fight, honestly. It's, it's a very close it's fight, I think. Because I was thinking, I, I'll go with with Emmett here because I, and it, it's, it's, it's funny because it's all the reasons that Steph said. And it's not even fair to Jeremy Stevens, who looks like he at 45 is a better fighter. But even at 45, he's still dropping these fights. And it's, we don't really see, and we don't know. I mean, maybe. It's so weird because I I've seen Josh Emmett fight a number of times and he never really when I saw him nothing, perform nothing was even a little bit memorable until right this it didn't, he never sparked to me like this is a guy that's going to be able to kind of climb the ladder to the upper echelon but here he is right um, and at the same time you look at Jeremy Stevens and his last two performances against Gilbert Melendez and uh, Duho 
you know, those are, you know, higher tier guys and he won those fights and it, it is, it is a weird, it is a weird place and it, it's an interesting fight and it is a really tough one to call. And I, I'm going to go with, with Josh Emmett just because that's where my head was when we started this. And it was to maybe the contrary to, uh, to, you know, everyone else that, cause I think Jeremy Stevens is, is an obvious favorite too. Right. So I think when I look at Josh Emmett and what he does, a lot of the things he does, maybe he doesn't have as many many mental lapses, but it kind of reminds me of um, oh, oh, why am I forgetting his name? Bermudez. Right, I'm alluding to him. What's that? Bermudez. Bermudez. Exactly. Right. He's heavy handed and he's a good wrestler, and that's kind of what Emmett is too. Is it bad to that Mark that? says Mark said mental lapses, and I'm just like, oh yeah, he's talking about Jeremy. Yeah, he's talking yeah, about Bermudez. Know, you know. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that idiot. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean, I, I think this is a really tough fight. I think Jeremy has a great shot of winning this, and I think uh, I think Josh Emmett could pull it off too. So well, it's it might pretty not much, be. It's pretty much that Josh is going to normally win by decision, last fight notwithstanding. And as you're wondering, can he pull that? Can he pull the shit off for three rounds? Basically, yeah. is well five rounds because it's the main event. It's well, he's, he's got to win three of them. Right, right, right. I think if he's, I don't think I think if he's winning the decision, he's winning most of the rounds. But yeah, I think he's gonna have to utilize the wrestling, ground Jeremy, tire him out because if it's just a stand up fight, even though Josh has gotten better with the stand up and he has heavy hands, that's just a tough, that's a tough call for anyone to stand up with Jeremy and you know get a win out that way. So yeah, this will be fun. You know, we we're we're split on this. Doesn't happen all the all the time. Uh, co-main event: Jessica Andrade taking on Tisha Torres. Um. You kind of get the impression the winner of this fight is getting a title shot at the winner of um, Rose Namajunas defending her title at uh, UFC in Brooklyn, right, Mike? I think that, that one would be correct. Yeah, UFC 223. He's going to defend that belt against Ioana. Kind of get the impression the winner of this fight is getting the next crack out of it. Um, Jessica Andrade, uh, she's already lost a title fight. She we all it was one of those ones people thought was going to be she was going to be a tough test for. Joanna and she kind of got, you know, blanked over five rounds. Came back with a huge win over Claudia Gadelia. She needed that one badly. Uh, Tisha Torres is, uh, she's put her, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, she's got herself a bit of a run going here, right? Am I not, at least in my head? Yeah, uh, she got her first one, like, finish against uh, Lima, and then she most recently took a decision over uh, Karate Hottie Michelle Watterson. I mean, she's three in a row. She's six and one in the UFC. Your only loss to Rose, and that shit was close. Like, people are, don't talk about how close that fight with Rose was. Like, if a couple of people gave that round, one of those rounds to the other person, I, I don't know, to be honest. Um, Mike, what are the odds on this one? Uh, one sec. Sorry, did not have it open. Minus 310, uh, Jessica Andrade, to plus 255, Tisha Jessica Andrade <laughs> is the biggest favorite on the card. Thank you for the I don't, I do, dude, I, dude, I do not like that betting line. Um, I'm picking Andrade, to be clear, but, I mean, Steph, I'm going to go to you. That's... Tisha's six and one, and I know she doesn't finish most people, but fuck, man, she gets the job done win wise. Uh, I'll I'll take the same position, but the opposite position. I don't I don't think there's a chance in hell for Tisha Torres. Jessica Andrade is too strong at this weight class, and she will not gas in three rounds. Tisha Torres finally got her first uh submission uh got a submission win against Lena, but she's not finishing Jessica Andrade. Jessica Andrade is a powerhouse at this weight class. You know, do you remember how she she put it on Claudia Gedalia, and I'd pick Gedalia ten times out of ten over Tisha Torres as well. Um, with all due respect to her, she's ten and one. It's a great record, but Tisha's style she doesn't really have powerful strikes. She doesn't 
traditionally gets submissions, she kind of clinches up against you, and that is not a place you want to be with Jessica Andrade. She's not going to beat Jessica Andrade in the clinch. Um, I, I like, you know, I want got- Rose to win because Rose and Jessica is a is a fresh matchup. Um, yeah, Joanna, 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 what tool, Jessica again? Um, Marcus, what do you think, man? You think it's going to be you're going with Andrade here, or do you think Tisha Torres got a way to get a decision here? Because God knows she's not finishing the fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Tisha Torres could win this fight, um, but I think the difficulty she's going to have, or the exact things that um, uh, could presentable stuff just pointed out, because um, Tisha Torres, you know, how she gets these decisions is that she's very mobile on her feet. She knows how to move. She knows how to stick and move very well, and that's going to be the key for her winning this fight is getting in on Jessica and getting out without you know eating too many punches on the way in or out, um, and kind of you know being the matador in this fight to Jessica Andrade's bull. But the problem is that, you know, part of Tisha's game is that, you know, she does come in and out with strikes very quickly, but that she'll also kind of pressure you on the cage and she'll be able to manhandle you there and, you know, throw knees to the body, knees to the legs and kind of, I mean, really her whole whole game is and why she gets so many decisions that she's quick and fast and she just outputs a lot more than her opponent. And like Steph said, I think the the problem comes in is if Tisha starts engaging in the clinch with Jessica, I think she's going to be too strong. I think she might be able to take her down. And I feel like that might be the undoing of uh, Tisha Torres. So that that is why I'm picking Jessica Andrade. But I think Torres could win this fight. She has to play it smart, and she has to be very quick on her feet and not let Jessica crowd her too much. She has to be circling out constantly. If she backs up when Jessica comes forward, she's going to find herself against the cage and find herself in that clinch where I think she's not going to be as strong as she normally is against these girls. So um, that's why I think Jessica has to win, is be the stronger bull, get Tisha not to move side to side, get her to go straight back, get her against the cage, ground her, and just tie her out and beat her up there and win rounds that way. Mike? Outside of the Ioana champion, well, she's not champion anymore. Joanna Joanna Violence. Fight. Uh, Joanna Violence, is that her new name? Some people call her Joanna Violence. Not okay. as good, but I'll take it. Well, outside of the Joanna Violence fight, every fight that Jessica Andrade has had at 115, she has absolutely wrecked these other women. And Tisha Torres, she's really good. But as uh, Stefan said earlier, um, I guess we'd have to, I would have to bump Claudia down one rank now, but she's clearly the third best girl in the division. Well, at least was until Jessica just absolutely destroyed her in uh, in her last fight in Japan. So uh Tisha Third best non champion. Hmm? Third best non champion. Yeah. So Tisha for her to win this fight, um she would really have to make sure that she doesn't uh, stay in the pocket and, you know, can keep the fight um, standing and not in the clinch because Jessica Andrade, for most of the women in this division, I don't even know how she makes 115, but she is too big and too strong. So it's going to be three to one. Sorry. uh, Sorry, Steph. You're you're on the island by yourself. What do you mean? Oh, wait, no, 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 wait. You picked. We all picked the same thing. Oh, I'm sorry. So clean sweep. I picked Jessica Andrade emphatically for you to think. I'm the one one who was just like, I don't know. Stefan was like, bet your mortgage on this shit, kids. Um, Guys, um, all right, Mike, I'm going to go back to you. Um, OSP is taking on Ilar Latifi. Ilar Latifi bounced back from eating all of Ryan Bader's knee to get a W over Tyson Pedro. Uh, Kind of a heat check for Pedro. A little bit of a, you know, slowing down the prospect hype train. OSP, after losing three straight fights, has won three straight fights. All finishes. Um, 
two Von Flew chokes, and he kicked Corey Anderson upside his fucking head. Uh, Mike, what is the betting line here? OSP is negative 120, and Latifi is positive 100. That's why, because no one can ever be too sure they're going to beat Latifi, because you're basically fighting a brick. Um, Mike, what do you got? <laughs> well, you know, OSP, OSP in his last fight against uh, Beeson 25-8, uh, mm. he looked really good. He's gotten three, uh, three finishes in a row, and I, I don't know, but I've never been really sold on Ilar Latifi as a... As a, He's as got a no neck. Flight, as a top no neck. Contender. Can't even choke him. No neck. It's just a head sitting on a square. <laughs> Sorry, go well, ahead. True. Well, so maybe the Von Floof choke won't be um, won't be at his disposal. But uh, you know, OSP came into MMA a little later. You know, he was one of those guys that you know he uh, tried football first, and then he uh, gravitated towards MMA due to his athleticism and. One thing we can say for OSP is that he seems to get better with every fight. He seems to try to bring something new to the cage, even if it's something very minor. And um, I don't see this fight being any different. Um, so you got OSP? Yeah. All right. Um, Mike with the breakdown there. Stefan, quick, what do you got here, brother? Um, I got OSP. I think we, you know, we've seen his ceiling as a fighter. You know, we know kind of know he has enough holes in his game. He's not quite championship material, but I, I think his ceiling is still higher than Latifi's. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, OSP too, just more rounded. Um, okay, he's only minus one twenty. I'm gonna say this as I'm normally one who says the words that I don't know if OSP knows what he's doing. Like he kind of is out there sometimes. I'm questioning if he knows at all what he's doing. Um, I love Elar Latifi. For the reasons I gave Mike, again, a walking brick. I really want him to win. But I'm going to believe that OSP has turned a corner here. Three straight finishes. Um, this is not going to be an easy fight for him just because it's hard to look good. It's against Latifi, except for, you know, when Ryan Bader need the shit out of him. Um, I'd be really impressed if he had a nice hard-fought victory out of this one just because it's a tough veteran out there taking on him. So we'll see. But I got I got OSP clean sweep. I'm not out here laying, making big claims based on fucking Elar Latifi when I'm under 500 with my picks. Um, final fight we're going to pick, Mike Perry versus Max Griffin. We're not. I'm not even going to lie and act like I know who the fuck Max Griffin is. We got is. one more. We got one more after that. What, yeah. what, oh, what, one more? Oh, yeah. Mike, uh, Max Griffin is coming into this thing. Um, one, uh, one and two in the UFC, getting knocked out by uh, Covington, uh, beating a guy with no Wikipedia page, and then losing to some guy... Elizao Lazaleski Dos Santos. Uh, Mike, what's the betting line as I look up Mike Perry's last few fights? Mike Perry is negative 340, and Mr. Griffin is plus 280. Yeah, I have to correct um, myself. I thought Andrade was the biggest favorite. It's Mike Perry is the biggest favorite. Um, I, Mike Perry coming off a loss to Santiago Ponza Nibio. Um, people kind of like, like watching Mike Perry fight, man. And I think this is a bounce back fight pretty clearly for him. Anybody think otherwise? I mean, we were unanimous like on the other big favorite. I'm pretty sure yeah. we're unanimous yeah, on Mike we're Perry good. here. Um, and Barrow, Brian Kelleher. Um, I spent a good like good amount of time today trying to figure out why I remember Brian Kelleher, and because I don't think it's dis I don't think his fight is what made me remember him. I feel something must have happened at one point in here that this dude said something or did something. Um, he's uh, one and one in the UFC. Lost to Chito Vera. 
um, by armbar in about two minutes, but came back with a win over Damian Stasiak. Uh, back on that Cerrone versus Till card. Got himself a fight of the night in that matchup, too. Um, he's taken on Henan Barrow, who at one point, Dana White exaggerations aside, was one of the five best fighters in the world. Was on a... I think it got up to like 30 straight wins, guys. Does that sound right? Like, he was on a ridiculous win streak, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then TJ Dillashaw hit him as hard as what you can hit a man in the first round of that first fight. And nothing has been good since then. Uh, he's lost a lot of fights, um, but he's not going to lose to Brian Kelleher, I don't think, because that's a new level of not winning. I don't think he's going to make weight. I'm going to say that right now. This is at 135. I don't think there's a chance he hits 135, but I think he's going to find a way to win. I got Hennon Burrow. Stefan? Um, same. I looked up Kelleher. There's nothing about him to say that he's anything himself. It really is. If he does manage to win, it, it just says everything we need to know about uh, Barrow at that point. I don't want to be that sad. I like Barrow's fight. I, I enjoyed his his dominance at a point. I'm not going to be happy if he loses to some some cat who's, you know, kind of middling. Um, Mike? I wrote off Donald Cerrone last week. We all wrote off Donald Cerrone last week. We didn't say this man was washed. We said this man got washed and he didn't even go through the rinse cycle. So the man was soaking. We buried Donald Cerrone last week. All right? All of us. If Mark was here, he would have <laughs> hey, buried him. I just had a pick. <laughs> I don't think we were that harsh, to be honest, but okay. <laughs> Uh, maybe in my head I was much harsher than I actually than I actually did in the actual podcast because I've, I've actually you know shot myself in the foot many times where I've buried somebody and they they end up winning this fight. You know what? I'm gonna have faith that Henry Burrell is not washed. He's just slightly misty. He should win this fight. Okay, we gotta finish soon. Mike's losing his mind. Um, Mark, yeah. Clean sweep. Um, I'm going with Barrow too. I mean, I think we all saw it when we were picking this fight. It was just, do any of us think that Barrow is just a broken fighter at this point? And honestly, could be, we're I'm this- not willing, you know, being in the lead of our little game here, I'm not willing to bank on that one yet. So, we'll yeah, see. honestly, like, there's a lot of fights we could have picked here. This card is. Got a lot of relevant shit going on, to be yeah, honest. I, I um, also I just want to chime in and say that, yeah, I mean, for our, us being kind of very negative a couple weeks ago, we're coming off of two really two cards that really uh you know produced fun fights right the australian card and this last weekend's card and then this week's card you know on paper looks really cool you know this is more of the uh, of the line of cards that i get excited for right like looking at the prelims to main card and not the prime uh the um the fight pass fights that's like i'm watching all these fights next week you know and that's not something I've yeah done. i'm honestly ben saunders and Ju- i like ben saunders and alan juban yeah, that's gonna that's be a, a good, good fight angela hill morose yeah, uh, Sarah McMahon. Sarah McMahon uh, got it finished. My bold proclamation like- for this card is Sam Alvey is going to win stinky. And once again, we'll all wonder aloud, can you cut a man coming off of wins? Um, and then uh, Olivier Aubin Mercier, he just he kind of reminds me of Forrest Griffin. He looks a lot like him. He always has good fights. Russell Doan's on there with Ronnie Yaya. There's some stuff. I it's don't have fight card. pass. Yeah, it's a it's good his, card. This is what I want for my fight nights. Right. All right. Yeah, exactly. G- g- just give me a bunch of guys who are pretty good fighting each other. That's what I'm looking for, all right? Then we get the pay-per-view. You give me the people who are really good. Um, all right, Memoirs of a Fight Fan. What are we doing? 
It needs to be quick. This is not going to be a good one. <laughs> is this, what, our favorite com fight promotion commercial or something? Uh, I had that one. Mark was talking about what's our favorite, uh, 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 like, combat gear. <laughs> like, no, I'm, go I'm going with your stuff. We like? I'm going with your stuff on because I at least can talk about something for a minute and we can get someone else, God willing, will come up with something. I really like the fight promotion they did, the, the, the one they did for um, GSP and... Uh, uh, Josh Koscheck. If you guys remember that one, it's the one where like it shows their first fight, and then since then they're they a bunch they both have a bunch of pictures of the rest of the welterweight contenders, and like they'll show like a highlight of when Paul Daly lost to Koscheck, and Koscheck will rip will crunch up the picture of Paul Daly. They'll show GSP throwing Dan Hardy all over the fucking place. He'll crunch up that picture. It kind of like it showed how they like they fought once and then they built up. And I mean, there's like five GSP ones I like, but that one stuck out to me. If you guys remember that at all, when they were just crumb, he was crumbling the pictures. I enjoyed that visual. No, that was a solid one. Yeah, someone's gonna say Ron as a little girl. I gotta say a different one. Um, who's got one? <laughs> you know, I'm taking that train. Yeah, there we go, Mike. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna just take it right now and I'll just run yeah. with it. Is um, yeah, it's 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 Ronda versus Holly Holmes for me is because they did something different, you know. They, they were bold in a way that they never were, you know? We weren't that far removed with the uh, all-time worst promotion in my head. It was, your heads will explode. I can't even tell you what the fight was. It was Gustafson just versus Jones. silences and heads not, like, poorly photoshopped off of bodies. It was terrible. But, um, you know, uh, I know the MMA community has turned on her. Uh, anytime Ariel mentions his her name, the comment boards go ballistic that he still won't stop mentioning her. But that Ronda Holly was great because it told both stories, right? What did we give them hell for in the Nunes fight is, you know, what, what like you have these matches where, okay, if the other person wins, you didn't even mention their name. But they told Holly's story too, you know, and, and that was awesome. Seeing for like the little kids, like whether it's the first time they go to the gym, watching her mom as a judoka and like growing up into the champions and just making it the story of like a collision course that was always inevitable. That was the first time I felt like they ever gave a damn promoting. They didn't do the same old, same old. Like, um, I, I remember the GSP one too, you know, and that, that that was better, but I still think that one is along the traditional promotion they do, you know, like another one on the hit list. That's a that's a fairly understandable thing, but like you the UFC has never bothered to do the human stories of their fighters, which is I think a great disservice to so many interesting stories. Um, but that one did it. That that was a beautiful one, and we've never seen anything like it since. Mark, you got anything? Uh, I mean, it would have been that one because of all the things Steph said. They actually took some artistic liberties to promote a fight and put time and effort and creative juices behind it, and it, I think it paid off. And I was just, you know, when when you mentioned it, Bob, like, oh, I can't do the one with Ronda's kid. I was like, fuck, that's the one. That's the only one that jumped to mind because it's literally the only well, time they took. It there to was a good one. Didn't they do the Jones? The Jones DC one this past one was pretty good. The um, Wait, Aldo McGregor they, one when they, they were walking through fight? Vegas. I think sometimes like the best they could do in those fights is like they showed some of the hype footage, like they showed the ESPN stuff. I mean, because I all the fights are promoted the same, right? And it's just like which ones are promoted differently that we can kind of give them accolades. And I think you're right, Bob. I think that one was more interesting because you saw like them talking about the ESPN after you know when it wasn't I mean, airing stuff. There was more, but yeah. like, and then it's just like, I was trying to think like, was there, is like Jose Aldo and Connor, they put some money they, behind they the did, commercials. They but... did that uh, Vegas thing. Oh, how about the fucking, um, 
The New York one. Mike, you, I, Mike, you have one before I just give them all away. <laughs> I, I actually do have one. I'm actually amazed no one really mentioned it, considering that you said, uh, you know, there's like three or four really good uh, GSP ones. But uh, one I, I actually particularly like was the Jake Shields GSP. Uh, that was a good one. That uh, was a really good one. For those of you that don't remember it, um, the way they had it is that Jake Shields was in the audience during, I think it was the GSP Koscheck fight. And like everyone else is going crazy around him and they just kind of pan on him just very like just stoic. And then I think they showed some of their fights and then the end of the commercial, um, uh, Jake Shields is like leaving the, the arena and and GSP is just leaving the arena from the fight. And like they uh, they walk by each other and they kind of turn around almost as if uh, a foretelling of, oh, they're going to fight eventually. And they Eventually, did. that was a good one, man. Yeah, I don't even remember that. That sounds cool. It sounds like with GSP. Well, honestly, they like, if they have a, when they have a guy, they like they're gonna put a couple bucks. They gotta pay a guy. They're gonna put a little effort into it. Um, the New York one was really good, I thought, because it showed like they were all trying to get to the arena. Like Connor showed up in like a nine thousand dollars suit for some reason. Wide, oh no, uh, Stephen Thompson looks like he's on a fucking like in a hostel. He's got like a backpack or something. Um, somebody took the freight elevator up. Uh, Rose came on the subway or something. You, you guys remember this fucking thing? Like everybody no, came in different ways. So they were this one at all. Yeah, <sighs> Mike, you remember this at all? I actually don't. God damn it! I'm, I'm, I'm have a fever dream or something. I mean, this sounds shit cool. Like eh, this I, shit I definitely happened. <laughs> that's the takeaway. Is like they've done so many fight cards, and there's only a handful. They're where they all kind just of break the mold, right? But when they do, they can do really cool stuff. Like we know it's in their ability to really put some thought and emotion and creativity behind these and i i think it shows like we as fans remember those some better than others so hopefully that's i mean is it too late to it's not a commercial but is it too late for me to change my answer to when bj penn wondered if kenny florian really said that shit because that should have been the adult the entire commercial <laughs> special um but i will actually a real recent one that slipped my head because i remember i bothered to message you about it, is why it stood out to me um i enjoyed the really short bit it, it didn't work out steep a cleaned house but oh, when, yeah. they, when they portrayed our man Naganu as the monster on the treadmill and like with the heavy breathing mask, like wired up to the high tech and like, oh, he's coming. I'm like, yeah, like I said, I was so behind the hype of Francis Nagano. So much of us were enamored by it. So Remember Stipe got angry? Recently. Remember Stipe got angry that the promotion was focusing on the other guy? And that was the one time we were all like, Stipe, shut up. They're trying to promote a fight so you get a bigger check. They got to lie to you a little bit. About how good yeah, the other guy is. Promote the challenger to make it interesting. Yeah, if if, if Stipe was interesting, we wouldn't be having these discussions. Um, all right. Um, is does anybody want to say anything for mem for um stuff we like before we get into Black Panther? Um, I'll, I'll just chime in. This is a conclusion. Um, this past weekend was the uh, NBA All Star Weekend, which um, it's the. You know, it, Bobby said this in a more derogatory way, but of all the main sports, it's the best All Star Weekend. It's the most interesting. Um, our man Clay Thompson was runner up in the three point contest. Uh, the dunk contest had some interesting stuff. Uh, I will say Victor Oladipo getting uh, the Black Panther mask uh, from uh, that Chadwick dude couldn't Bumsley see the Black Panther himself, and then doing the most mediocre dunk after he couldn't see. What a waste <laughs> of hype. what a waste of hype that Dennis was. Smith Jr. got robbed in broad daylight. Man, I'm sorry that dude. That reverse 360 was awesome. Wait, yes, I thought so. Didn't he win? Dennis Smith Jr. No, he didn't even make the finals. Donovan oh, Mitchell, the Utah Jazz one. Oh, okay, to me they're essentially like the same person. 
Dude, I didn't know these people who any of them were. That's not a good sign either. Um, yeah, uh, sorry, Steph, go ahead. Um, yeah, just great competitive game. It was still real high scoring. Um, but at the end, you know, Team LeBron won. Um, and this is kind of just me lamenting, and it's to bury my favorite warrior ever, Steph Curry. Because um, it's also something he said at halftime, which made me nervous when his team was in the lead. I'm like, the team Steph's not going to win. And he's like, yeah, it's competitive. It's not going to be as competitive as the regular season. And then I looked at the other side of the court, LeBron, KD, Russell Westbrook. No, it was competitive. They wanted to win, and they won. And I was like, Steph, I like you, but you're kind of too much of a bullshitter. You know, here you are, five minutes left in the game, and you're still flinging one-handed passes out of bounds to no one. Like, Steph didn't have the competitive spirit to win this game, but I liked that they kind of tried at the end. Um, Coach D'Antoni got out. Coach, why did you take out Joel Embiid? He was the... I didn't know you could get out coached in an all-star game. I don't know you get out coached in an all-star game, but it happened. We saw it happen. Um, <laughs> it amazing. You know, the, the all-star games definitely got a lot of flack in recent years, but I think the new format actually helped it to be a more competitive game. Players wanting to try a little bit more in defense. So I was happy to see that. Um, Marcus, you want to say something? Uh, yeah, I just want to mention, cause I wasn't on last week. Um, couple really cool indie games came out that I'm really excited about. Um, one just got on consoles for Switch called Owlboy. That game came out on PC about like a year ago. It is just a really beautiful 2D style, kind of like a Metroidvania game. Um, yeah, so if you like like really beautiful, like kind of pixelated 16-bit, but just gorgeous Metroidvania-like games, check out Owlboy. It's really cool. Um, and there's another one that came out on Steam and PS4 called uh, Crossing Souls. And this was actually a Kickstarter game that was kickstarted like three or four years ago. And it too, another really beautiful game, has kind of that same kind of like 16 pixelated big aesthetic but um that game really goes for kind of the uh stranger things kind of vibe set in the 80s in california um a bunch of teenage kids um kind of like discover this weird thing um and it kind of plays like a isometric kind of i mean kind of in the vein of the old school zelda games you're kind of adventuring around and you play as these different kids they have different abilities but it's just a beautiful game. Like I, I want, I walk to every corner in the screen because the pixel art is so cool looking that I don't want to miss any like cool little things they might have put in the corners of the screen just because it's that mesmerizing. So yeah, if you like those games, uh, those type of games, that kind of aesthetic, I definitely recommend checking out uh, Owlboy and Crossing Souls. Mike, you got anything? I have nothing this week. You went back to the motherland. Yeah, I went back to Dominican Republic. I went back to you. Went back to the motherland. Nothing good. Well, my motherland is Manhattan because that's where I was born. But uh, where was your mother born? Well, okay, touche. It's called motherland, fuckhead. Touche. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, I guess I can talk about that. Um, because I do like I do like my parents' birth country, um, Dominican Republic. I had to go there for. One of my oldest childhood friends' uh, weddings. I was also in the wedding party, so I was all snazzy in a blue suit and a bow tie. Um, we stayed in uh, Punta Cana. I was there for about four or five days, and it was a good time. You know, I hadn't been uh, I hadn't been to the Dominican Republic in about twenty years, um, so it was good to go back. Uh, had a little mishap. I won't say more than that. But uh Go ahead, Mike. Talk about your asshole. Well, I wasn't going to, but since Bobby <laughs> brought it up, um one thing they always tell you is to not drink the, the tap water in a third world country. And we all did a good job of that. You know, we all 
you know, we, we got the bottled water. Anytime they serve this water out of a pitcher, we asked, oh, is this from the tap? And they would always tell us, of course it's not. We get it from, you know, the big, big bottles, the big jugs. Um, the one place none of us thought to ask this is when we went on an excursion outside of the hotel where we went to this, uh, I guess you can call it almost like a coffee farm. And um, the person was serving us uh, a lot of different types of coffees and teas. And in the moment, none of us thought to ask, hey, this water you're using for the coffee and the tea, is it filtered? Well, fast forward about eight, nine hours, we're all finishing up dinner. I think I was the first one to get, you know, to, for, for the virus to, to pop up first because I go back to my hotel room thinking, man, I'm not feeling exactly right. Let me go back to my room, rest for like 20 minutes. Then I'll meet these guys at the, the club that's in, uh, that was on the resort. Within 20 minutes, the bubbling in my tummy started and there was no leaving that hotel room because I needed to be within 30 seconds of a toilet for the next six hours. And because suffering is always better when you do it with, with other people, I was not the only one because when I woke up the next morning at noon, um, I found out that of the uh, 16 people that went on the excursion, uh, 13 of us had the old mud butt. Thanks. So I really thought you were going to go like the, cause a whole misery loves company that you totally made people drink the water unknowingly. <laughs> like, you know what? <laughs> you're going to feel this pain. You're going to suffer. But, uh, but, yeah, but in, a weird, in a weird uh, way, it was, uh, it was almost nice and comforting that I wasn't the only one that, you know, was just dying on the toilet. Um, some people even were, were throwing up for a good amount of the day as well. And, uh, well, besides that, the trip was great. Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. Um, all right, guys. Um, we're going to talk about Black Panther. Um, if you didn't see Black Panther, like our boy Mike, maybe now's the time to call it a day. Uh, thank you for listening. We're going to be back next week. Is there a card next Saturday? Someone tell me that, please. The Saturday after this one, I guess. Oh yeah, not, I know. Someone's checking that, God willing, right? Yeah, I'm trying to do that quick, but as we all know, I do not March have the third, uh, March third. I think so. Uh, Cyborg versus Kunitskaya. I think that's we got the following a week because it's a short month. It's it's the third. Yeah, it has to be the next week. Yeah. Um. Okay, we're gonna talk about that. How they're right. trying to get money for you to watch a girl that has never been in the UFC before and has zero percent chance of winning. All right. uh, Mike, you... peace out. See you guys get next week, rest, brother. Yeah. See you. All right. Enjoy Black Panther. Um. All right, guys. Um. In five seconds, we're gonna start spoiling this movie. Five, four, three, two, one. The Black Panther bought Oakland. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was. That was. I literally turned to my roommate. I'm like, is the Black Panther buying Oakland? Kind of was. Um, this movie was excellent. If you got, you saw this movie, if you're listening to this, I have to tell you, this was a really well done movie about superheroes where they explored some really adult topics like foreign aid, <laughs> allocation of resources, a coup d'etat, you know, um, 
what is a, a advanced nation? What is your place in the global picture? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it was um, they I was thoroughly impressed. Ryan Coogler doesn't know how to make a make a bad movie. Um, I was also biased from minute one when they wrote Oakland, California on the screen, but uh, I checked I and everybody that, else. I just has to chime in having seen an uh, early uh, showing of it in Oakland. Crowd was hyped. As soon as the as the Wakandan font descrambles to 1992, then descrambles to Oakland, California, it was just people bouncing down and hollering. Um, it was a great festive atmosphere. Marcus, what did you think of the movie? Uh, no, I thought it was great, and it's. I, mean, I, I just saw it today, um, so maybe I haven't had a lot of time to digest it all or something. But I don't really have any like. It's weird. I don't have any complaints. I liked, I, I think the thing that I kind of took away from this, um, I mean, I think it's one of the best of the Marvel movies that's kind of focused on a singular hero, right? There's no cameos in this movie, right? And I kind of thought we might get Captain because I knew you kind of know Winter Soldier is being held in Wakanda because of uh, Civil War and how it ended. So I kind of thought, and, and that's what they've been doing with a lot of these Marvel movies, right? Is like you're getting these other characters, like in Thor, you had Hulk. Guardians of the Galaxy has so many characters, they don't need to have cameos. Um, but like, this was just a really strong movie that was basically just all around, uh, Wakanda and, uh, Black Panther. And it was, I think it's one of the best of those. And I think it's, it, it, it isn't just because Black Panther's story in and of itself was super compelling and interesting all the way through. I think what really made this film so strong is that it had such a good supporting cast around it. And I think a lot of that has to be levied to the villains in the movie because, I think um uh, what what was uh, is his name Craw because it's not Claw Ulysses right? Claw Ulysses Claw okay it is Claw because he has a claw hand that makes sense it's K L A U E yeah it's, it's not spelled like different claw. Right? I mean I think it's kind of cool that your villains you get kind of two of them in this movie right first it's him they eventually you know spoiler alert um he eventually gets killed off by the main villain um who's Killmonger right um I think is his comic yeah. book name. His, his nickname and I think what's really strong is not only does Michael B. Williams who uh, portrays the character does a really Jordan. good job acting uh, sorry uh, Michael B. Jordan Michael right? yeah right um yeah. I'm horrible with names um but I think not only was his character I mean I think the motivations always made sense to me right and I think sometimes in these Marvel movies with the villains sometimes the motivation of the villain doesn't escape the realm of just like he's kind of crazy for power kind of thing but in this movie, um, the villain had personal motivation because his father was killed. He also had motivation, like a higher reaching motivation for his actions because he wanted to correct what was wrong in the in the world that he saw through his military combat, right? He was basically like a Navy SEAL type of guy. And he was going in these different governments and seeing that the oppressed, how they were being oppressed and how they couldn't, you know, fight back because they lacked the kind of technology and the advancements to overthrow their oppressors, right? So there was multiple motivations, and even when some of the characters in the movie turned, they there was there was logical motivation for that, right? Because one of the characters that's aligned with Black Panther basically turns on him, you know, uh, three fourths of the way in. But the motivation made sense because, um, and I, I can't remember, it's it's the kid that played in Get Out, who I didn't even know was in uh, this Daniel movie. Kaluuya for the lead title character from um... right. From Get Out, yeah, I yeah. forgot his I forgot his character's name in this. Thing. And I, yeah, but I yeah, can't the either. border tribe who um protects the border protects of Wakanda. Well, yeah, and but basically, you know, he eventually turns because uh Craw killed his family, and his motivation in the movie is that he wants revenge on this character. Black Panther fails in getting him that uh revenge, but then Killmonger comes 
and brings him the body. And that and that to me logically made sense, right? Like this character's whole motivation is I want to get revenge on the person that killed my family. This guy got it to me. This guy rightfully becomes, you know, Black Panther. And it made sense for me why he would take that turn. And it equally made sense because he loves um uh, the woman that he loves is the captain of the guard. They end up kind of fighting at the end. That one's Okoye. That one I remember the name. Okay. Okoye, right? Yeah, and it... another strong character, which I didn't know. Did you guys recognize? I didn't know this until after I, I saw her. She's uh, Michonne from Michonne, The Walking Dead. Yeah, and I did not recognize her probably because she didn't have dreads. And I haven't watched The Walking Dead in forever. But I did not. I didn't even, I didn't have that even like facial recognition. Like, I know this actress. Where have I seen her from? I didn't. I never knew I saw her before. So I was really surprised. Like, oh. That was Matrone from Walking Dead. I was like, oh, I had... I, I was aware going into it with her in particular, and I just kind of, after seeing this movie, I'm like, you really just cemented yourself as this badass, you know? Yeah. like, and she you was. Just, just, and I think another reason why this movie is so strong, right? It, it has lots of characters that are badasses that are either African-American or women, and that's kind of a big movement, and I think it's a really cool movement that we're seeing more characters of the female gender being portrayed as strong and independent and also of African-Americans. This movie is basically just filled with them and they all are, you know, deep, complex characters. And I think it just makes the movie all the more interesting. And uh, yeah, yeah I mean, Black Panther, just, you know, the thing with African Panther, culture, I'm still... into your point because some of the backlash against Marvel in, you know, they, a lot of the social justice warrior Marvel about like, you know, all you see of Star Wars, where they shoehorn in people. You know, they're like, we're just going to make people female for the sake of female. I think it's very speaking to the history of African culture. There were matriarchal tribes, you know, like we're so used to a patriarchal society, but the history of Africa has, you know, women warriors, has women tribes leaders, you know? Um, and like, I think this movie didn't shy away from it. The, the guy Killmonger, he fights the women. The men fight the women. The women fight the men. It it kind of is a telling of the history of a more even culture it's not that women are delicate and how dare they be hit but it's how dare anyone be hit right life is life in this movie and i, I just thought that's a really cool aspect very it's you know in terms of capturing the culture of it all you know just on on a shallow surface cinematography this movie was beautiful the set pieces yeah were he, uh, he, sh he, sh he shot the shit out of it i he really appreciate really that it. the suits didn't look like all the other suits in marvel like, you know, that's that's a big complaint. Why is it that everyone in Guardians of the Galaxy dresses the same as everyone in Asgard dresses the same as everyone in S.H.I.E.L.D.? Like, their uniforms look the same. That well, same plastic armor look. Like, and I want, I, I, sorry, I hate to cut you off stuff, but I want to chime in too. Like, they took the African culture seriously, right? Because when they're talking to the leaders of the different tribes, right, there's one guy that has, and I don't know what the accurate term is, but he has that big ornate thing in his lip, right? It's like this big circle. And I feel like, you know, if shot differently, that could have been cut to be like a funny thing. Like, oh, look at this culture and how they have like these weird ornate, like they do things with like, you know, how it's very common now for looping and ears, right? Is a very common thing, but he had it kind of like in his lip and they could have cut to him and it could have been made kind of jokingly, but everything was taken seriously, right? And at least in the theater I was in, no one laughed when they cut to that character. It's like, this is a respectable person. His culture is different. They wear different things. They do different things to their body because of their culture, but nothing's wrong or weird or hokey about it. It's just, it just is the way it is. And I felt like that kind of care was taken out throughout the film. Whereas, you know, the cultures are very different from our Western cultures, but it wasn't ever cut to in a like in a funny way right it was never like like oh look how these people dress and how look how they dance and isn't that kind of kooky and funny and that's the pitfalls that 
people can kind of run into when they're kind when they're trying to you know shoot and you know strongly a film based in african roots and culture and it, it can be done poorly if not done correctly and it was done correctly and like you guys were saying with the cinematography what i liked like with some of the scenes they go to the i don't know what they call it the astral plane or after they take the black panther thing i thought it is i, I knew the one with um black panther and kind of the jungle forest and he meets the panthers because that was I, I i saw that in comic books and stuff before but i liked it when um killmonger went and he was back in that apartment in oakland right but you look it throughout the window and it has that astral plane in the back and i was like oh that's really cool like i thought i i didn't know if you went there it was always just like oh here's a bunch of trees with all the uh, black panthers sitting around chilling it's like no it, it is what what you kind of make it and to see him walk into that oakland apartment but then see in the windows it is the actual plan i thought it was a really cool cut right and, and even in that scene they cut to him being a child and him him being a grown-up and there's a lot of there's just a lot of beautiful things they did in this film and it all worked and some of the things yeah. in the movies they don't like some of the scenes kind of lag right I, I was never bored in this movie right i was always interested in what was going on black black panther's sister stole this movie like 15 minutes into it and she did not give it back um i thought that girl was incredible is, uh, she was right? so good in everything she did um, what I wanted, I knew you were going to go there, Bob. I just wanted, what I want to chime in about that myself was, um, what I really appreciated and Leticia Wright was one of the big parts of humor in this. Also, Denai Guerrera, she had a lot of great lines. You know, a lot of characters had times to shine with humorous moments here. Um, I appreciated that this movie was humorous, but it was a different humor than, say, a Thor, a Guardians of the Galaxy. Those went for a bit over the top silly. I thought the humor was very gra grounded in like banter, you know? These are passing comments, you know, you kind of would what say are those? to your brother, your sister, you know, it may be your boss, you know, you have the general to the king, but at the same time, they grew up together. So there's a familiarity. And I, I liked, it was, a, it was, I found this movie very funny, but it was a much more subtle humor. It was a more grounded humor than kind of like, again, coming off of Thor Ragnarok. We went for the absurd. We, we put Jeff Goldblum in there for crying out loud. You know, we know what kind of okay, well, well, brings. Goldblum, but Goldblum, Goldblumed it up. Let's not complain about yeah. Goldblum being Goldblum. I, I totally agree with Steph. Like, this movie is funny, but it's not like, because I feel like one of the criticisms of the Marvel movies, right, is that they're too hokey, right? Like, they're too on the nose, kind of know they're supposed to be funny, like Guardians and Thor. It was good that this movie plays into the formula of Marvel, right? Like, it has an action scene in the beginning. It has a big action scene in your end. Basically, every scene has a couple jokes in it, but Steph's right. Like, how they delivered the jokes, it wasn't so, like, smashing over your head. Like, this is funny. We're making a joke here. Keep paying attention to the scenes. They they laid those in so well. And like you said, Bobby, that that character, his sister, makes it makes sense. I, I think that's, that's part of the other reason that some of the jokes don't land necessarily because you have characters that aren't really supposed to be funny doing jokey kind of things. But in this movie, you had one character that was supposed to be kind of, you know, uh, just kind of out, not like out there, but just kind of comedic. And, you know, she kind of speaks from the hip and she was the comic relief, even though there was others. And it always made sense when she would make jokes because that's of her nature and of her character. And, and yeah, I, I have to totally agree with Steph. I think they handled humor really well in this movie, especially against the backlash that I've been hearing a lot from Marvel fans is that like, yeah, they're funny, but like, they're really trying to be funny. And like, and I think Steph hit it on the nose, like those other movies, the jokes are very hokey. They're very trying to be funny. You can tell, like, yeah, I let's get the meta self-aware joke. Right, yeah. Where this is just, like, natural things that would come up in conversation between real people. Right, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think that was I think that was a great point you made. I just wanna, kind of want to highlight it, too, because I noticed that, too. By the I also thought that I was working on the assumption that she was playing, like, a 14-year-old. 
the entire movie. Like, I really thought she was supposed to be an actual teenager. And that girl's like 25. Yeah, they she's never the really younger sister. Um, I know not a lot of people know, Bob, but kind of, she's an interesting character. She becomes the Black Panther for a while. Like, she's an ambitious character in her own right. So she's not just supposed to be a little, she's the younger sister. Um, and I want to say about age, because one, we have the ageless wonder, Angela Bassett. Like, I think for the last two to three decades, she's looked exactly the same. I did not know Chadwick Boseman was 41. Like, another solid dude. Like, some good ageless wonders here. But, um, yeah, shout outs again to the director. Uh, a man who makes me feel like I'm not doing anything with my life. Ryan Coogler from Oakland, California, age 31. And he's got apparently his name. Mark, Mark might have been. He was at Cal State uh, Sacramento, Sacramento State when Mark was there. Mark might have been in some classes with this dude. We don't know. I don't remember him, and I would have fucked up. I should have been like, yeah, I should hang on to your number, dude. I want to be in some Marvel movies later. <laughs> Didn't even give yeah, a fuck um, about Marvel back in. Ryan Coogler knows how to make a goddamn movie, and those Rotten Tomato scores suggest as much. And I like that man. Like I guarantee you, this dude looked at this, and they gave him, "You want to be black? Do Black Panther." And I think the origin story, the guy might have, like, there's some shit in, like, like I think, like, Killmonger's from New York or something, really, or something. I don't know. I guarantee you this dude looked at it and said, it's called Black Panther. The Black Panthers are from Oakland. You know, we are going to do some Oakland shit in this. I'm going to find, he'll find a way to wedge Oakland in it. He will find a way. I don't think it really was a nod to it. I think I'm just reading too much into it. Dude, I I got, honestly, I got the impression that, uh, what's his name's dad, Killmonger's dad, and the other guy, they were basically Black Panthers. They had, you know, with all the goddamn, you know, yeah. they had a, they were militant at minimum with all the stuff in their uh, but house. What, what I wanted to get to, I don't know if you guys caught it. Maybe Stefan did since he saw it three times. But at the end of the movie where Black Panther goes to Oakland to basically buy it all, when they first cut to Oakland, you can hear Bart, right? And I kind of thought that yeah. might have been like a subliminal nod to Fruitvale, which was like his first big major uh, film. And I want to give another nod. We were talking about actors and casting. I loved how um, when they had they had Forrest Whitaker, but the, even when they did the flashback, the, the the character they casted for his flashback character also had the lazy eye. So the lazy yeah, eye was chronological. <laughs> I was like, that's good casting because they cut oh, back. Like, I, like, I like that Forrest Whitaker's name, name the one good. who played young Forrest Whitaker. His last yeah. name is Whitaker, but they're not related. Yeah, I just thought that was- I I, li- I liked I liked Forrest Whitaker. Just rolled with the. That same accent he had in uh, Rogue One. He's like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, you know, do the strange voice like that. It worked in Rogue One. I'm gonna roll this into Black Panther. No problem. Yeah, I, I think everyone had convincing accents though, right? Yeah, like fucking uh, Lupita Nyong'o or whatever. I don't say her last name, but she was great in this movie. And uh, my man who plays uh, Watson in Sherlock, um, whose name I already forgot. Um, I can't He's remember. Bilbo Baggins. Martin yeah. Freeman. I, I, I thought he might Martin, have been the Martin Freeman. In, in the Dude, I thought he did great. But I, I thought he did exactly what he needed to do. He's just like, we he's were shouting out everyone. Um, I'm going to give props to Duke Winston. I thought he was great as uh, M'Baku, the leader of the Jabari tribe. Oh, yeah, he was. When he just barked at people, like, he, that was the best the part of the barking, movie. The, we're vegetarians. The, like, his <laughs> timing was great. I, I liked his command. You know, um, I like that. You know, he he's a villain in the comics uh, who had a very problematic name, which they didn't even bother with for this movie. Thank God. But, uh, you know, just him kind of being like this traditionalist and, you know, him ultimately being like, you know, he he, he was a little and he was introduced as an antagonistic character. Right. Yeah. But in the end, you know, his values supersede any selfish motives he may have had. You know, he, he wanted to be the leader because he thought he would be a better leader, not because he's inherently evil 
or is trying to conquer the world. You know, he just thought this guy isn't fit to lead. I'm better. And that, that see, you know, Mark was talking about motivations and that was a realistic one to me too, right? You disagree. You may even be hostile against each other, but it's not necessarily coming from a good versus evil place, right? You're just, I can do this yeah. better than you. Well, it was just overall really well done. Um, we, I don't, I mean, do we need to get into it more right now? We'll um, probably talk about it more when Mike sees it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I can Mark mentioned, I, I saw it three days in a row. Um, I'm happy to be a part of its historic box office. This movie means a lot to me. Um, if you don't mind me kind of closing in on a seminal note, uh, when I saw it in Oakland on an early showing, um, I kind of commented to you guys is I noticed over half of the audience were like elderly black folk. Um, and I probably presumed, and I could be correct in some cases, I could probably be incorrect in others. I presume most of them aren't familiar with Black Panther, the comic hero. Um, but I, t I talk about it with just media in general. You know, we, we've had the comments about, you know, cultural appropriation, whitewashing, and these things in movies. Uh, to me, this movie embodied the power of positive uh, representation, right? When you tell history from the right from the actual African point of view, you know, you don't tell it from the, you don't tell it from like the white character's point of view. You, you actually take care. As Mark said, you, you actually learn about the history. You try to make it authentic. You don't just do what you think is the version of the culture, you know? And then just to see all these characters, like historically, there are tropes for what black people get portrayed as. They're the villain. They're the sidekick. They're the drug addict in horror movies. It's it's we, we it's to the point it's a joke. They're the character that dies first, you know, like that's who you are. So just to see these fully developed, full cast of characters, it was just so many people that were having a good time in that theater were cheering when he dies, when he comes back, when he hits the ground and does the big explosion. People were just so amped into everything. And it, it, it meant a lot to people. And I know not everyone can understand that. There's a lot of people who get hostile about it. I don't understand that, but I don't think those are real people. I think those are Russian, but those are all bots. <laughs> just stirring up. I'm not even kidding. Um, I don't buy it. Yeah. Just to see that effect, whether it's personal to you or not, because to me, what it I saw was people who have waited to have a hero like this. They felt represented them in a positive light. And to the to, to other groups like minority groups who are there who are also smiling and hopeful, I felt it made it hopeful that their turn will come too. You know, like that they'll have their hero that gets this spotlight one day. And just the fact that I think it was well made, I you know it, it's it's I'm not I don't think I'm forcing myself to like this. For me, this jumped to the front of the line of all the Marvel movies. I know it's not that for everyone. Um, I like the political aspects of it. I like them hammering. That's why Winter Soldier was so high for me. That was the only other one that attempted to be nearly I mean, this political. Um, everybody is Winter Soldier up near the top. I mean, for me, it's still I got it's up there for me too. It's right there next. I mean, probably still below Guardians because I. It's still, just such a different I mean, movie from Guardians. Yeah, you know, while it's just hard. It's hard to compare. It's just like, I mean, that's just that was that, that was a lot of personal stuff for the Guardians movie that stuck with me. It's just I think also like, you know, there's been other black heroes, but there it's not. It's also. One second. It's also that um, it's a black. It's about a black hero from a position of power. He's runs a country. He's rich country. They're a country that is advanced, more advanced than other countries. I loved Luke Cage. Luke Cage was fucking broke, man. Luke Cage was broke, and you know what? Blade was a good movie. Blade was a vampire. This was like 
you know, it was a rich, it was about a rich goddamn African king that like can save the rest of everybody else. Like it's a blade was also that's niche. A, that's I, I've heard the blade comment come up, and my I just if I could respond to it, it's that blade was this movie that existed in this vacuum. This is mainstream stuff now. We cannot talk about Marvel now versus Marvel in like the late '90s, early 2000s. And Blade well, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's, I don't think there's a serious yeah. conversation about that. It's just I'm saying there's been other heroes, but this one, you got to think it's like he's a rich. He's the they're in the they have the best country. They have the best technology. They got fucking vibranium and stuff. They're miles ahead of everybody else technology wise. It's like a different. There's a different vibe than just you know. The street tough that is Luke Cage. As much as I enjoyed all that shit about the streets loving Luke Cage and all that stuff, you know, we've seen the story of the badass street tough before. It's the African king being a bad motherfucker. It's a different thing. It has an effect on it. it it's more inspiring um, because he's this type of superhero that like Captain America is, right? When you look at Luke Cage, he's the type of hero that's like, oh, what if the everyday man, what if I got superhero powers? I would function like Luke Cage, right? But Black Panther is like, this is a character that is better suited than I am, right? Like, he's thinking on a higher level. He's something that I could strive to be, right? To, to be that clear focused and to be, to also but think with your heart, too. Because that's ultimately what this is coming down to. Like, he has to expose what Wakanda is to the world because he needs to do the betterment for mankind instead of just protecting his people. And it just reminds me, like, he's the equivalent for the African-American community, kind of like Captain America is, right? Like, if you're a white guy, you can look at Captain America like, He's better than I am, right? Not only because he can jump higher and run faster, but like he has a clear focus on what is right. And he has good. a moral compass. He has a moral compass, a right? Proper... And so does Black Panther. And he's a character and a hero that you can strive to look at because he's a better version than I am, right? Like Captain America is a better person than I am because he has the morality. Because he can jump and punch and, and throw a shield around like gravity and physics don't matter but it is really because like he's a character i can you can strive to be better right and and i think black panther fits that too yeah. which is what we're missing and also like bobby said it's coming from a place of power instead of a place where everything's crushing down on their culture and society it's a place where they've kind of risen above and they're going to rise everyone else hopefully so it was great a fantastic movie all right let's uh let's call it a day oh um, uh, I, I i know bob we're talking talking but i didn't want to mention one other thing i wasn't on last week because i proposed to christine my girlfriend and we're engaged now <laughs> i should have said that i was gonna i wasn't i wasn't gonna say anything like i was just like that's why i first went to you like is there anything you want to talk about before we get into stuff we like because i'm video like video games this is, that's all I think yeah I'm like, then he start talking like, what if well, mark started talking about video games i'm just like motherfucker we couldn't talk about these next week like I'm, I'm sitting on a Nixon podcast. I'm talking about next week. Like, but anyway, so yeah, congratulations Don't to our boy. Up. Sure, thank you. Yeah, and congratulations to Christine. She stuck with you forever. Yeah, <laughs> as much as I can, congratulate her. Um, all right, guys, we'll be back next week. Um, wish you guys all a happy president. No, I'm not. Who gives a shit? It's President's Day. So um, we, it's over. Forty four of the forty five. No, not not that many. Then we're cool. It's called, there's you know what? In there. There's a lot of duds in there. You know what? If you if you did a net positive in this country as president, here's to you, man. So, yeah, guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, as we mentioned, talking about that UFC 222 card, which, despite this giant one-sided main event, I'm gonna get all hyped about Brian T. City Ortega versus uh, Frankie Edgar, uh, among other fights. So we'll talk about that. We'll see. Um, we'll see if uh, if Josh Emmett is really all for real. Quite frankly. This will be a good test, or we'll see if you know. Maybe he's not the all. Picks that right. leaders so. say he is.
Do you guys want Josh Lemmy? You guys did, did go with that many. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm Mike shouldn't have hitched, his, hitched himself to the fucking Bobby train. I'm just tanking it this year, apparently. Um, all right, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, Wakanda forever. Peace out. See ya. Wakanda forever. <laughs>